0: Adventure Time, come on, grab
1: your friends, we'll go too far off future lands. With Shermie and Beth, the pup princess, the fun will never end, it's Adventure Time.
0: Welcome to Animates, I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And today we will be closing a chapter, finally ending our storied journey in coverage of Adventure Time. Uh, so if you would all come along with me if you will uh to to complete our our voyage
1: (laughs) i i have to say this is the first time i've managed to get all the way to the end because i have the emotional maturity of a goldfish and i sometimes don't finish a series so i can pretend that it's not over because that's (laughs) dumb but it is what it is and i am who i am and perhaps (laughs) some of you have done that before This is one of those times, but I've finally been pushed to the edge, forced to end it, and I'm glad that I did, because the content of these last two seasons, seasons 9 and 10, is arguably some of the best that Adventure Time has ever done. Maybe it was the best. I suppose that is partially up to you, the viewer.
0: Yeah, um, I think it's... um generally really excellent i think they wrap up and cover a good amount of things in these last two seasons and they have um a pretty satisfying finale which is often an issue with beloved shows um and i also think that's really saying something because there are only 30 episodes for the last two seasons combined
1: they were a quick watch this time around much like a normal distribution, the episode count peaked in the middle and then tapered off. Towards it's a bell
0: the end. curve. It's
1: a bell curve. Yes, it's a bell curve.
0: Yeah, I watched both seasons yesterday and I didn't start until mid-morning and I was done before dinner.
1: I so. Yeah, I watched uh, Friday, I watched season nine and yesterday I watched all of season 10 um, it's okay for those of you who are listening i i should just warn you we're about to spoil the whole kit and caboodle you should really go watch the material before listening to this if if possible if you've seen it before and need some refreshers that might also help. We're probably just going to dive right into talking about certain things. So, summary will be a little bit more sparse because we have a lot to get through in our short period of time here. Because we're going to wrap up. I want to wrap up, especially with a little retrospective thought series about Adventure Time as a whole. Seeing as we are now in the year. 2021 and we can see the effects of adventure time as they stand today
0: yeah because it ended uh pretty much exactly two years ago it ended in the uh, like early in 2019 um i will say just a quick little dash of summary to get us started off um season nine picks up exactly where season eight left off they are still on, like, a freighter heading back from their voyages in the islands to the land of Ooh. So there's very... There's no... Pretty much every other season, it's unclear how much time has elapsed. But with this season, it's very clear it's, like, maybe a couple of days at most.
1: I was confused for a second because they were on a boat and I'd forgotten what was going
0: on (laughs) nice but
1: but it, it it picked up and we can divide the conflicts of the two season i i don't know i think they divide pretty cleanly because season nine gives us another eight episode mini series of uh not serialized no they would be serialized episodes that follow directly one after the other. So, Stakes was the first one. Then we had Islands. And the third one that they do... The third and final one they do is Elements. So, we had that set up a while ago about their four elemental types. And we saw this in the genesis of the Ice Crown. Candy, Slime, Ice, and Fire. And it was established in Season 8 that... Those elements or those elementals exist today, right? Princess Bubblegum, Candy, Slime Princess, Slime, Fire Princess, Fire. And the person I like to hate:
0: (laughs) Patient Saint Pym.
1: Patient Saint Pym. Who is the the worst. worst? (laughs)
0: <laughs> she's the worst she's the worst and we it's funny because
1: after elements she never shows up again she she actually makes a very uh, unspectacular exit
0: yeah but she basically gives up she just is like oh none of this is going to work out and freezes herself into a ball of ice again and just like bails we never you know? see her again Never again, yeah.
1: And elements was great, uh, as you might expect. Betty comes back in elements, so bet. Okay, major major characters to talk about over the next two seasons. Betty, Betty is super important. Um, there are serious changes in all of our established characters. That's probably one of the hallmarks of this season. Is that a lot of dynamism can be found in the characters that we generally have come to know. The only person I would say that isn't as true of is BMO, but bubblegum, Finn, Jake, Marceline, uh, even slumpy space princess, like all of the characters were kind of associated with, I mean, I guess the ice King mostly stays the same. He, Mm -hmm is still you know the ice king but they all undergo serious emotional and sometimes physical changes that all kind of got set up in the past so there's like a lot of payoff in these two seasons for a these lot These two of...
0: seasons are payoff city, man. I you
1: could it's kind of all payoff. Really, because gosh, what Fern storyline is addressed and all the changes that we kind of hinted at in Fern in the past. Um, Bubblegum makes her emotional change with her relationships with certain people, but also sort of transitions away from that original sociopath monarch to the, I don't know, would you call it the philosopher King model? I guess. She cares about her subjects, basically. Not that she didn't used to, but she did it in a way that was very heavy handed. And we learned kind of why that occurred.
0: Yeah, that's why this whole time I've been like being like, well, I don't think that she's necessarily a sociopath because there's there's reasons for the way that she is, you know, and you'll just have to see. Right.
1: And it is true. I did have to see. Mm-hmm. And then season 10, essentially, we see certain things set up in season 9 that lead to a giant conflict in season 10. Mm-hmm. And it's very intense. And season 10 is basically, there is one episode in season 10 that is sort of irrelevant. Only one and that's Ring of Fire, where we get some Tree Trunks action that is just so good. Yeah. Uh, Tree Trunks was a was a player.
0: <laughs> She's done some fascinating things with her life, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. We also learn about Tiny Mammal Kingdom.
0: That's so cute. I wanted more Tiny Mammal Kingdom.
1: It was a shame. I heard about it and I was like, why is this the first we're hearing about this?
0: <laughs> why haven't we been visiting Tiny Mammal Kingdom every day?
1: <laughs> I guess Son of Rap Bear is also not very important.
0: It- yeah, it's not very important. It mostly just allows um, Flame Princess to finally like deal with her issues with her dad fully, basically.
1: While Finn also starts to deal with his trauma over uh, Fern. Wait, am I getting that out of order? No, he's still messed up about it. Um, yeah,
0: there's a couple of episodes in season 10 that are mostly just like, this character has issues with their dad, and so we're going to give them a chance to kind of wrap that up. Um, like, uh, Son of Rap Bear and Marcy and Hunt Center both that way.
1: Um. Okay. So let's talk about things from season nine that we felt were very important. Um, because season ten has a lot, but season nine is. I feel like most of what I will have to say focuses on, like, Jake has an existential crisis yes Well, okay no he has a crisis of identity those are not necessarily the same but can be very much related so jake has an identity crisis bubblegum princess has a moment of i don't know self actualization i would call it uh betty continues to be Betty, which is actually kind of sad. I mean, one thing we can talk about is the portrayal of her madness and the way that madness is portrayed in fantasy. She's sort of an interesting case study in this stuff. Um, gosh, what else is important? What do you what what about season nine do you feel? was particularly important to point out.
0: I think that the, that elements is just like, it's just a lot of interesting sort of storytelling there um, that I think is fun. Um, For example, uh, lumpiness being the anti-elemental, I think was really fun. I (laughs) loved,
1: I loved that. And that sort of, I totally didn't see it coming, but I I thought that that was a really clever way to give... Every character gets a big moment in the last two seasons. And I felt like that was an important way to give Lumpy Space Princess her moment. The only uh, other... Definitely. The only other big moment for her was her wearing the Char Asnabel helmet. So for those of you who are anime fans, Char Asnabel is a very famous uh, antagonist from the Gundam series and he has a very iconic lots of Gundams have that dude with the white mask who's always the like frenemy of the main cast and she is wearing a helmet very iconic mm-hmm. for that particular style and it clearly shows us, continuing to show us that people who draw or write Adventure Time also like anime.
0: Yeah, I think so about LSP, just one of my favorite things that's ever happened in the show is Finn was figuring out how like LSP was the anti-elemental basically. And so he made a word cloud of the fundamental elements of LSP, which just really kills me. Um, so coming off LSP, there's a circle that has her star in it, and then around that are the numbers one, two, three, four, five. Um, and then we have stubborn grapes, apathy, and then a line off that to sassy question <laughs> mark. Bullish, <laughs> willfully ignorant, and would rather live in the woods than under a boss's yoke. <laughs> and I just like like, I did pause the show and take a photo of my TV so that I would always have that because it just kills me. It's so good.
1: It's, it's true. She sent it to me in a Facebook message. So I can attest to the photo's quality. Um, all right. So one thing that I think gets addressed in this season is finn i don't know finn has been helpless before but he keeps having to run away in elements and i it messes with his head but i think it's important because i think it starts to show him fighting is limited in its capability to enact certain types of change or there are certain things that you simply can't punch
0: yeah, I think it also really showcases what the writers think of as Finn's greatest flaw, which is um, rage and a will to violence. Because if you recall, he was able to resist becoming candified or slime or the icy sorrow and things like that. Um, but in the in the in the Fire Kingdom where the issue was kind of like rage and you could just be transformed into sort of a fire rage monster. He had the hardest time resisting that and ultimately didn't resist it. Um, So I think, and I also think it showcases that the writers think that uh, Jake's, Jake's greatest flaw is a tendency to melodrama.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So um, also Jake's indolence because he, because he gets absorbed into Slime Princess because he's like he's so much a character who is go with the flow. And that turns out to be a hugely significant flaw. But if you think about it, Jake gets. Jake experiences problems with ice, too.
0: Yeah, that's what I was saying about the tendency to melodrama.
1: So, well, it seems like the message, generally speaking, is that Jake is very emotionally immature, which I think tracks. It's weird because he does dispense wisdom or when the issue is in his wheelhouse, so to speak, he can be very... I don't know. I don't know if I would call it wise, but he can give good advice. But when it comes to himself or certain issues, Jake has persistent problems. And
0: Jake does not care for self-examination.
1: No. And I think resisting the elements was very difficult because of that. Yeah, definitely. I think that starts to change, though, starting with Abstract. Where, um, so a big change is that Jake's biological... We saw how Jake was born in season eight.
0: Oh, really quick before we go into this. One plot thing that I do think is important for understanding things is that when Lumpy Space Princess resets Ooh because basically that's what she does is she resets it with lumpiness and everything goes back to normal and it's not elemental and weird anymore. It has unforeseen consequences. Like it resets things that we did not think were something other than their original form.
1: So Jake is one of those things. And Jake shows his alien hybrid form he is now blue with five eyes and although he doesn't initially perceive him as being any different the issue the issue essentially becomes like through some experiences with his brother Jermaine he engages in self-reflection about who he is because he's got sort of a classic what i look like and who i am inside don't feel Congruent or other people see it as a problem. And it causes him to go essentially on a self-reflective journey through a dream world with his brother to try to address that particular conflict. Which he does. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, he is able to, through some really interesting uh, analysis of abstract art... Is able to see that um, although parts may be rearranged and appear different, that that doesn't necessarily mean the essential form of something is gone.
0: Yeah, and I really liked Jermaine's attitude of like, change is inexorable, we are always constantly changing. And even if we remain the same on the outside, um, on the inside, we are in a constant state of flux. You know, um, and that, like, change is essentially what it means to be alive, and that accepting change, like, actually brings stability.
1: For those of you who have ever taken a psych class, we call that a growth mindset. It, it's essentially a it, is a... it is a perspective one can take about themselves that sees oneself as being fluid... Although it kind of sounds new agey or a little bit like the secret, the fact of the matter is, is that a growth mindset does have measurable effects on people's ability to address certain issues. A classic one actually occurs with students. I see this kind of stuff all the time. Students who say like, I'm sorry, I'm bad at math. And it's very easy to see how they could get there. I mean, I have thought that before. Our education system does not do a great job. Our culture does not do a great job of seeing certain things as skills as opposed to innate talent.
0: Yes, it's like they've actually done studies about this concept and stereotype that we all have. Like uh, Asian people are good at math. You know, and like that is actually in some ways borne out in statistics about like scores and things like that. And so it's a study that they did about like students learning math in China versus in the United States. And it's like, no, just in that in that culture, they think of math as something that like how good you are at it is a function of how hard you work at it. Whereas in the United States, we tend to view it as an innate talent in a way that we really don't for a lot of other academic subjects. And so people tend to have the attitude of like, if I can't do it, that just means that I can't do it. So it's really just a cultural difference in how we view math as a concept.
1: Yeah. There, there are interesting ways that one can try to deconstruct this culturally from personally, I think it has a lot to do with the cult of genius like, the belief in prodigy. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, actually, there's a decent amount of work that shows prodigies are actually not that much different than regular people. They may have certain predispositions that allow them to hold their attention from a very young age on certain subjects, but ultimately, the thing that distinguishes a child prodigy from a non... from a from another child is simply they put in the work they put in the hours to do the thing like think about mozart everybody's like Mm. mozart was a great musician from a young age and to some extent he did seem to have some deafness for the task but his father was like work 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 practice every day from the time he was like five years old that yeah i mean like that's the thing
0: is like all these prodigies, if you did if you just scratch the surface, you're like, oh, they had an abusive dad who like made them do it, you know?
1: So this this belief in genius is sort of like also spreads a belief. Like, think about Einstein. People are like, that man was a genius. And what they probably think is like he was mentally talented in a way that was innate. And that sort of like spreads to things that those people tend to do like math Um, this could go on forever but growth mindsets are very important and I think Jake is taught a growth mindset by Jermaine and it is very important when learning skills to have this kind of mindset because it it will color your perception of success and failure Paige said it perfectly if you fail and you believe you have a if you have a, a, a fixed mindset y- you will stop you simply don't have it but if you have a growth mindset it becomes well I failed I just need to try again I just need to get better at whatever this thing is and we usually talk about these subjects as they relate to skills But I feel like a growth mindset could be applied to issues of identity as well. I can't speak necessarily directly to any research on the topic, but Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a good way to talk about these issues to children, especially issues Mm -hmm. of identity, which can change.
0: And I honestly think that that is an underlying theme for the whole of the last two seasons of Adventure Time is the sort of growth mindset as applied to identity that there are so many people who either have been living for so long or are very set in their ways and they're they're running into problems and they're hurting other people because of their refusal to um like deal with things and move past them or accept change that is happening and the idea of accepting the fact that you change and that other people change um allows for life to be something that is stable and peaceful is I think really inherent to the entire story of seasons nine and 10.
1: Though we do see that some people do not change as well.
0: And those people are like, generally the attitude towards those people are like, that is bad. To refuse to change is like villainous and it hurts people and it hurts you. Change is good. I think is really the attitude.
1: Um, yeah, so eventually Jake like, does return to sort of his ground state, but with a more holistic understanding of who he is, which is good. Uh, let's see. Fern is probably a great example of this process being... Fern is unable... ...to address his own identity concerns. Mm -hmm. And eventually it causes him to be consumed by them.
0: Yeah, he's, he's unable to accept the fact that he both is Finn and something that is not Finn. And because he's unable to reconcile that, he externalizes his pain. He looks for something other than what is inside him to explain why he's in so much pain. And he decides that it's because that the other Finn is in his way, basically.
1: There is a great line in the finale that Fern says, I'm going to punch things till I feel better or until I tire myself out. <laughs> yeah. And I, I thought that that was, I, I laughed pretty, pretty yeah, loudly that. Yeah, that was good.
0: um Yeah, I mean, like, I think that three buckets as an episode is extremely high intensity I remember I wa- I watched season 9 like right after it had finished up and when season 10 wasn't out yet and so and that's the season 9 finale so I just get there and I was just like what the fuck <laughs> like this is insanely dark
1: I mean Fern basically tries to trap Finn and then Finn accidentally kills him. Well, he mm-hmm. thinks he kills him,
0: yeah, it turns out like it's not that easy to kill like a grass curse boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, he seems like he basically they get into a physical fight with one another. um, and you know, they're also trying to talk out their issues and and Finn, like and embracing in embracing the idea of change, right says, says to him that, you know, we can we can work this out like we can we can fix this. This doesn't have to have this kind of finality, but it doesn't work out that way. Um, Fern isn't because in order to do that, the other person has to be on board and Fern is not, you know.
1: I also think that the the there doesn't have to be this kind of finality is a very layered pun. Because Finn, right? It's final. It's two Finn's, but also it speaks to Finn's past way of addressing conflict.
0: Yes, definitely. So
1: it doesn't have, it doesn't have to have this finality. As in, it doesn't have to be solved like Finn would.
0: Wow, that's deep. <laughs> totally made up,
1: but I, I, yeah. that was where my mind went to.
0: Well, he also says something explicitly late in season 10, where he's like, he's trying to basically stop the big conflict. And he's like, I used to be all about violence, and now I'm the one who's trying to stop it, you know? So that's something that I think is important to the writers of the show, to show that Finn has grown. And as he's matured, he has learned other ways of solving his problems and the problems of other people that do not include violence.
1: It makes sense as a progression because Element shows that he can't win everything by fighting. In fact, fighting can cause you to lose. Violence, although unintentional, causes him to kill another person. So I think he's seeing, systematically, the limits of fighting in certain situations.
0: Yeah, and, absolutely.
1: And that essentially tills the soil for the the sprout that, you know, grows up in season 10.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, and it's part of the... I think part of it is, like, well, why does the show end when it does? And it's, like, well, because Finn now does not address every problem with violence. He doesn't necessarily, like, seek out, like, danger and adventure for their own sake anymore. And that is no longer an adventure story that's no longer like a D&D quest that's a story about like a true hero who like is mighty of both the sword and the mind you know and who engages in diplomacy and that's just that's not an adventure story that's a completely different kind of story
1: I would like to note that while there are many DD characters who do grow and change many more uh, always kind of stay punchy punchy so Finn undergoes under more change than a lot of D&D characters that have ever existed yeah you know. <laughs> um, so season 9 involves a lot of Betty and Betty is said like Betty is inflicted with a magical madness right she's trying to she does seem to regain some composure by the time season 9 rolls around but she's it's interesting because I feel like she's no longer god we could have a really long conversation about how games and stories portray madness and that could take an entire that you could write an entire book on that subject alone But, I mean, I play role-playing games where, like, how you write those things into a character or stat their effects. Just, like, there's all sorts of stuff tangled up in there. And Betty, in some ways, like, the whole Magic Man madness thing is sort of like a very... God, there's, I mean, the best way that I can say it is there's like a stereotype madness that I don't even know if I would call it a, it seems incongruent with how we think about disorders. Like it's, it's an individual who is completely out of touch with certain aspects of reality. Like, yeah,
0: I I think what it is, is it's like, I think the, like, the reason they use the somewhat archaic term "madness" is because it's not like a disorder in the modern psychological sense. It's sort of this archaic, archaic idea of of what is madness that someone has become in some way unhinged. And its portrayal in Adventure Time is that it's typically that something com- that comes from profound pain, and that because of profound pain, the um, the rope with which that person's consciousness is tethered to reality um, becomes rather slack and that their lucidity and attachment to reality is fleeting.
1: But I mean, by the time Elements rolls around, I... Betty does not seem... Like, the magic man definitely seemed that way. But by the time elements rolls around Betty doesn't seem archaically mad to me anymore in fact the only thing that seems to be an issue with her is she's a woman obsessed yes that and and I guess the line you draw where an obsession becomes a delusion is is Uh, you would arguably have to decide that for yourself a part of me believes that she wasn't even delusional because she's seen in the past that Simon is still there she has seen certain magical scenarios that show that Simon as an entity is not dead and she simply has to find the right way to uncover it and she isn't making that up like that. I mean, at the very end, she's kind of proven right.
0: Yeah. I would say that it's something that I think is interesting is that she, the whole magic man, Betty thing started because of her theory of a cycle of madness, sadness, and magic. And it's kind of, it's almost like when she had that, swap or whatever with magic man we're like oh she's crazy now because that's part of his magic and maybe it was for a little bit you know like doing like an acid trip or something like that and she had to adjust um but now i think what we see is like no the the madness is pursuant to the sadness the particular flavor of the madness is a manifestation of that particular person's pain and like for um Magic Man, it was like being a jerk and actively making other people's lives difficult in hilarious ways. But for Betty, it is a doubling down on her obsession to the extent that she is unable to consider the wants of others or consequences of her actions even to herself.
1: Yeah, okay, that would make... So... I guess in that sense, she is untethered from certain rational lines of thought. Mm -hmm. And I guess if we think about the fact that she used to be a scientifically minded individual, that would, that would stand out in starker relief.
0: Yeah. It's like, think about that. Like, it's like, okay, so, you know, like, have you thought about what's going to happen if you do this? And she has not, you know, she has thought about the fact that it can conceivably give her a way to bring Simon back. She hasn't thought about, does Simon want that? Will that kill Simon? Will that kill me? Will it kill everyone else in the world? You, you know, it's like that just hasn't like occurred to her or the fact that it may represent a betrayal of other people and that that is in some way wrong or can hurt them like hasn't occurred to her, you know?
1: And I mean, in elements, she betrays Finn to try to go back in time to stop the crown from ever getting into Simon's hands, which we all know would be a really bad idea. But,
0: yeah, it's like when when she says that, as soon as she says that, you know, from like all the Prismo stuff, you're like, not exactly sure what the consequences are going to be of that, but really bad, probably.
1: I mean, it's really funny because when she says that, Prismo and the Cosmic Owl, like it smash cuts to Prismo and the Cosmic Owl hanging out and they're watching this and they both make like an aghast face when she says what her plan is.
0: It's interesting because they never address that plan and whether or not she did it or what stopped her from doing it. Um, So and the next time we see her, she's hanging out on Mars, filling a massive hole with grains of sand one at a time to try and like learn empathy again, basically, and which leads one to believe that maybe she did do it and Prismo and the Cosmic Owl had to like fix it.
1: No, because the Ice King kicked over her motor.
0: Oh, that's what it was. I'm sorry. Her
1: spell, her spell got interrupted.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Never mind.
1: So Betty continues to be an issue. Because she shows up in season 10 and this is that issue about change. Also, just as a side note, Betty is a walking textbook example on why time travel is a bad idea. Just throwing it out there. Like if anybody oh. wasn't obvious about it, like she tries to do it. She's a product. She's a product of time travel. Generally a bad idea. Yes. So uh, season 10. Moves on to it. Ed- I would argue these two seasons could be one season.
0: Probably. Yeah, they, they, I mean, th- they, they go together so nicely
1: basically season 10's conflict involves the direct consequences of elements and we learn a lot about Bonabel. she made family because she was lonely which is the most I don't know I totally understand that we see her trying to survive the wasteland before it became the magical land of Ooh. she's only got Nettie who she loves but she she needs. God, I hate to put it this way. She I but I think she would say she wants intellectual equals.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, basically
1: like Nettie is really nice, but Nettie. Nettie's different, which is okay. Nettie's
0: Netty's more of an animal than a person.
1: Right. So she yeah. makes an aunt and uncle and a cousin based on a picture she saw but for whatever reason the people that she creates act like really shitty adults they see one of the things that I had trouble with is they established that they kind of believe her to be silly and unimportant a child and always getting in their way Even though she brought them to life and all she wants to do is make them and her happy, but they dislike her anyway. And they eventually plot to essentially lobotomize her.
0: Yeah, it's dark, dude. It's really dark. Like, basically what happens is she... All that she wants is to just spend time with them and be a family. But they, like, Gumbald, her uncle Gumbald particularly, wants, he has, like, he has the will to power, basically. He wants to, like, create a community and, like, like means of making money and things like that. And Bubblegum does actively interfere with that because she doesn't want, because she made them, like, like, even uh, like, here's a criticism of Little Bubblegum. She made independent life that was intelligent as her, but she wanted them, she wanted them for a specific purpose. And she was unhappy when they had their own desires. I mean, she, that were outside of the specific purpose that she created them for.
1: She created like a child.
0: Yeah, basically. And like, that's almost like, there's sort of a two-way street thing going there with the with the parenting, which is like Bubblegum as parent who creates a child and then is unhappy when the child is not what she wanted or expected. And then like Bubblegum the child whose wants and desires are like pushed to the side because they're thought of as silly or insignificant compared to the desires of the adults.
1: And while I think that that... Like that's totally fair, and I think definitely would result in understandable conflict. the The efforts her family goes to to get her out of the way is like completely villainous.
0: Yeah, no, it's really, it's really bad. But particularly, it's driven by Gumbald. And if you'll remember from the very first episode, when when Bubblegum was reanimating old Mister Cream Puff, and she like giggles that they used to date. <laughs> Gumball created young Mr. Cream Puff specifically to be a boyfriend for child bubblegum. Oh, man.
1: Reaching all the way back into season one, folks.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love the degree to which they connect things. And yeah, we found out that it also throws back to like other little things like in a much earlier season, she and Finn are walking through a stand of trees that have been clear cut. And she says, my uncle Gumball cut all of these trees down in a single night and he did that against her explicit wishes it's something that she had created and he clear cut them to create something for himself that he preferred you know Um, so it's like reaching back for a lot of stuff right and like he builds them he builds that cabin that she said was his cabin but it's also against her wishes and what she wants right
1: the the end of season nine we get hints like Gumball is back Like, Gumbald's plan failed. He got splashed with this happy juice and turned into a bowl of punch.
0: Jesus Christ. Also, Manfred, the, like, big characters, Manfred and Crunchy, are both, like, these lobotomized family members of Bubblegums.
1: So, they, they, they get returned to normal, and so they start plotting again, and Gumbald is behind rescuing Fern who Finn thought he killed so already we're getting some really nasty shit set up and the conflict of that season is essentially Gumball versus everyone else but mainly Bonnebel and Finn is trying to cope he now definitely they call it guilt in the show but we would know it by its modern name PTSD (laughs) yes because okay he has flashbacks he sees images that aren't there about the traumatic experience that's not guilt guilt okay people literary people love to write shit like his guilt was so strong that he was seeing things that's a flashback and that's traumatic stress yeah So, uh, I'm sorry, guilt does not make you see things that aren't there.
0: Yeah, I'm like, um, I'm baroness of guilt. Um, Once, once I had a therapist who wrote up a diagnosis and treatment plan and gave it to me so I could see it ahead of time. And she wrote, Paige has struggled with feelings of inappropriate guilt for her entire life. Right there on the page. I have never seen anything that was not there ever. I have never had a single hallucination, and I love to feel guilty.
1: So, like, he is he is experiencing trauma, and attempts to cope with it through the entire season. It does get better once he realizes Fern is still alive, but I, I would say then it transitions into guilt, because... He still feels bad for what he did and he wants to find a way through this mess. But he he, he didn't kill him.
0: Yeah. I also think part of the trauma is that um, Finn was never, never able to uh, fully separate himself from Fern. Um, once he realized that, like, Fern was not something masquerading as him, but was just him. He was never, like, Fern became a part of his identity. And he was also, in the same way that Fern was not able to separate his identity from Finn, Finn could not separate his identity from Fern. So in a way, he, like, killed himself, which I think is part of why it was so traumatic.
1: I agree. I definitely got that sense.
0: Yeah, they didn't really have, like, and like, I don't know how you could in this situation, but they didn't have like healthy, independent concepts of self, you know.
1: No, I think they experienced strong codependency.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But like, that's the thing is like, how wouldn't you in that kind of situation? I you mean, know,
1: clone, clone, like science, sci-fi, clone stuff brings these issues up, mm-hmm. and absolutely more than one clone story typically ends with one killing the other. And and some people would argue the human being is psychologically unable to experience an internal and external identification with an individual and still feel that they are an individual. Like that other person threatens their entire sense of self because of the implicit belief that the self needs to be unique to be valid.
0: Yeah. And then, like, you don't even want to get into the whole thing about, like, is the self merely a collection of experiences or is it something innate? Or even if it's merely a connection of experiences, don't those mean that those past experiences determine how you act? So, like, therefore, if you are cloned, is that you, is the clone you? Does the fact that it will immediately begin having different experiences than you have had make them both you or something different from one another, you know, like, that's a whole thing. Like, a lot of sci-fi is about that.
1: I... Mm-hmm. I would like to believe that I wouldn't kill my clone and that my clone wouldn't kill me because we would think about this.
0: Yeah, I mean, hopefully. But that's the whole thing is like, what is it? what does it mean to have an identity? Like, what does it mean to have a self? Um, you know, is there a soul? Are we just a collection of experiences? You know, like, those are all like, input, like, those are questions that, don't have necessary like scientific answers and so if you were in that situation in which like no this is just you you have like all of the same memories like is that you or is it not you does the fact that like that Finn was bound with like a grass curse make him a different person or different version of Finn you know
1: now I do I do think that when Fern is eventually released from its grasp he, fe- he states that he even feels different. I, I would argue that a lot of Fern's problems came because of the grass curse.
0: Yeah, I think that could be argued.
1: So what we're really seeing is... I think a lot of those issues rise from the fact that Fern believes he's Finn, but he is experiencing these things that Finn wouldn't. And believing that that means that he had a problem... Right. If I'm supposed to be Finn, why am I not Finn? And I think that the grass curse is the cause of that disconnect.
0: Yeah, I definitely do, too. I mean, I think it's worth noting that we, when we first sort of meet Fern and find out where he came from, um, that the grass curse says to little Finn from the Finn Sword, when we get out there, let me do the talking. You know, um, that there is an extent to which the little octopus grass guy is, um... asserting itself, you know?
1: Um, let's see, so...
0: Ooh, also about Grassfin's beautiful hair. When Grassfin takes off his hat and he has- his hair is so beautiful and shiny and it has flowers in it.
1: Um, it's too bad that that's when he's essentially falling apart.
0: I know, it's very sad.
1: Okay, so highlights before we get to the final conflict. Um... All right, so Fire Flame Princess and her father, Marcy and her father. We've got mm-hmm. some father-daughter attempts at conflict resolution, and I would say they reach a tentative equilibrium.
0: I would say so, too.
1: So I feel like that's important. I feel, I don't know, I feel like... The emphasis on change is like, well, sometimes that change doesn't look perfect, but it is change. It is better.
0: Yeah, it's kind of it's the idea. It's like, okay, like becoming an adult is learning to deal with your parents on the level of an adult and not on the level of a child. So it's like, what is it that they've done to you that you're mad at them about? And is it something that you can forgive them for? Are, do you want to seek a relationship with them or not you know and like you have to begin to conceive of them as a as a flawed and complicated person and reconcile that with what happened to you as a child basically
1: couldn't have said it better myself One thing that I also think is good is that we get some payoff on the Sweet Pea Lich plotline. The Lich basically by now has mostly been defeated, but the arm that got cast into the void comes for Sweet Pea. And there's sort of a willy-wony fall to the evil influence of the Lich. And Sweet Pea resists and slays the Lich. And it's great payoff. Also, Finn has one of my favorite lines in the whole show. Ugh, you're so evil, it's almost boring. Yeah, I think it's great. (laughs) It does definitely attack the idea that interesting evil is evil that is just like, "whoa" type evil.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, the Lich is definitely a really scary villain. Um, but I do kind of get, it's like, you know, it's like, well, we fought the Lich so many times at this point, And, like, the level of evil here is just like, come on, dude. You know, I think there's a reason that, like, the Lich isn't the, like, final boss, right? Um.
1: Well, part of that's because he's more of a force of nature than a person.
0: uh definitely. Uh, something I think is interesting, though, that I, I noted, this was the first time I noticed this, but... In his final evil speech, he says that he is, he says, I am the last scholar of Golb. Um, and I never noticed that at any of the other times that I've watched it.
1: So do we believe that then he is just an extension of Golb?
0: Um, in the sense that the Lich's primary function is to cause mass death, which is a chaotic function. Probably, um, okay. because like Gulb embodies all chaos. I have some stuff to say about Gulb and the and like him being the final boss and stuff.
1: Yeah. So final, final conflict. Princess Bubblegum is going to war with her uncle, and Finn is trying to stop them, trying so desperately, and we believe the con like the episode starts with Betty taking a comatose Maja and normal man. They're all casting a spell and they just disappear. And we kind of don't see anything happen. So we are left to believe that whatever they did was just pretty whatever. And the armies are marching. The candy kingdoms are going to war Finn has tried diplomacy multiple times and has been rebuffed every single time. It feels like a very helpless situation for Finn because he's trying to be a diplomat and nobody is listening, but also, I don't know, I was very conflicted about my feelings towards Bubblegum because I don't... Her uncle was going to fucking attack her, so what is she supposed to do?
0: Well, he... The deal with this whole war. It's it's something that's interesting. And it's like, okay, so part of the reason Finn is desperately trying to stop it is because this is for the land of oo, at least, a potentially apocalyptic war, like an attendant, like a potentially um civilization collapsing war that's gonna happen between these two kingdoms. And if you look at it, this war is happening over a collection of interpersonal grievances that have never been addressed or even attempted to like to have been addressed in any other way. And both of the leaders are conducting espionage. They are just justifying their own buildup of arms on the basis that the other, kingdom is building up their arms. They insist that the fact that the other kingdom is building up their arms means that, of course, they must have warlike intentions. They both insist that the other person is forcing their hand, that they would not choose war themselves, but that they are being forced into war by the other person, right? So I think this has a lot to say about the nature of war and also kind of about the the, the Cold War a little bit, too. This idea that Um, there are a series of choices that are made by two people that seem to inexorably draw them into conflict. But people, like, those people don't want to take responsibility for those choices. They want to pretend that there is something inevitable about it, that they are not choices, that it is not their fault that all of these people are going to die, that there was nothing they ever could have done that was any different. You know, when there were many choices they could have made and many different things that they could have done, Um, going all the way back to the point when, like, PB first made her uncle, right? Like, it didn't have to end this way. They made choices that caused that to happen, right? And they made choices that are going to cause the deaths of other people and are pretending that they didn't make those choices, that someone other than them is at fault.
1: Okay yeah, but also, Gumbald is the aggressor. He attacks Finn multiple times. He shows that he is absolutely intent on fighting Bubblegum.
0: Yeah, I um I agree, but Bubblegum never attempts to do anything else.
1: She allows Finn to go on a diplomatic mission.
0: Yeah, after she's always already spent a ton of time, like, conducting espionage or building up her arms. Like, she's like, well, fine, go do it if you want to, but I don't think it's going to do anything. Like, Gumbold like, came to her castle, you know, after fucking with Finn, and she had the opportunity to be like, let's talk about this, and did not. She was just like, get out of here, leave. Like, I, you're not welcome. You know, um, she didn't She didn't attempt Like Finn insisted That there was a diplomatic solution She's like, alright, do whatever you want But like she didn't She didn't try to do anything else I understand that Gumbald was acting as an aggressor In this situation But he wasn't like so aggressive That Counter- there was nothing else she could have tried
1: Counterpoint He would never have capitulated The only reason they didn't go to war Is because one of his generals Betrayed him
0: um he
1: would t- he definitely would have the whole point was like he doesn't have epiphanies.
0: Like, yeah, and I do see we are like we eventually come to the point where that like the idea is like but there are some people who are so like wrapped up in themselves that they like refuse to see that they will never make the right choice. And so, like, you just have to, like, deal with them and nip that in the bud in whatever way you can. We do eventually reach that point. But there's a lot of buildup where I think really the idea is that this is a series of choices where different choices could have been made, you know? And it's like, she, like, she doesn't know until that point that Gumball will never capitulate. She was around him for, like, a few months after she made them made him and then he was lobotomized for centuries and then she didn't talk to him when he wasn't lobotomized anymore and didn't even try to so like she had no way of knowing that he wouldn't capitulate you know um that's something that we learned after trying right
1: I I would argue there are certain personality types that very much hint that a person simply won't list like there are some people who will just not give up power. And Gumbold shows that time and time again. Like how many examples are needed that shows that he is a manipulative, narcissistic, warlike individual. I We might just fundamentally disagree about this situation, which is riveting television.
0: Yeah, I think we might because I just say like just because like that doesn't mean you don't have the responsibility to try. Like like cuz that's the whole thing with like with the Cold War is that it's like okay, well, I'm building up arms because they're building up arms because I'm building up arms because they're building up arms because I'm building up arms because, I'm building up arms because they're building up arms. And that very easily could have ended in nuclear war at any moment, almost did on several occasions. You know, <laughs> um like I think that The idea and the idea that that Finn was pointing out was that, well, we haven't even tried another way, and shouldn't we at least try? You know, and it turned out that Gumball was a was a treacherous person who would never see reason and would never make the right choice and would never never make a choice that would uh, protect anybody other than himself. But at least they tried. They like very few they people a lot of people would have died if they hadn't and because they did people didn't die you know
1: uh oh man this is where different put like geopolitical ideologies clash because a realist would have said if she hadn't gotten lucky she would have gotten essentially killed for trying and then her kingdom would have fallen and Does trying count for much if the people that you're govern, like you're governing fall? I'm not saying, I don't, I'm not saying that I like that, (laughs) but like, are they wrong?
0: Well, uh, here's another question that I have for you. What would have been the difference in the material circumstances of the people of the Candy Kingdom? if uh, Bubblegum herself had died and Gumbald became the ruler of the Candy Kingdom.
1: Gumbald clearly had no interest in governing as, like, a person who cares about their subjects.
0: Well, I mean, for many seasons, you accused um, PB of being a psychopath and, like, of not caring about her subjects. Um, And we don't see anything to indicate that like, we have no evidence that Gumbald is in any way, like, abusive to his citizens.
1: I would say that that is self-evident in the way that he thinks about power. Hmm. Well, I think we're just going to disagree. Which is fine. Um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you're chopping at the bit. <laughs> that's okay. Um, mm. So, anyway. Hot stuff going on here and mm-hmm. I mean eventually the conflict does take a very serious left turn I mean so basically the Fern, Finn, Jake, Jermaine and Bubblegum and Gumbald are taken into a nightmare world where they resolve Jermaine
0: isn't there he's just uh, in Jake's imagination right by the way. right
1: right so yeah. they resolve they, they are able to empathize by directly experiencing each other's traumas and to that extent like it allows them to relate enough. Mostly Finn and Fern. And Bubblegum is able to see from Gumbald's perspective. Gumbald clearly was able to see from hers but also didn't learn a fucking thing. And, or he did and he chose not to act on it Mm -hmm. um so at the very end bubblegum is able to make another choice and the war seems to be over like that's the kind of out of left field thing. i didn't expect this right like the war is over and i'm like oh cool the war is over until bimo is telling this story to people a thousand years in the future and she's like is and they're like is that when the world ended and bimo's like no that came after and you're like Mm -hmm. what yeah. <laughs> Betty summons Golb into um, the material world.
0: Yeah. They then take a moment to have, like, Ice King have, like, a lucid memory of himself and Betty and basically describes, like, Golb is, like, an extra-dimensional being that embodies all chaos. Um, and I will say about Golb, I think... The more times I watch it, the more references to Gulb I catch, but I just really don't feel like they spent enough time on Gulb for me to feel entirely satisfied with him being the final boss.
1: The only reason... What? Sorry? The only reason that I feel satisfied is because I'm used to extra dimensional entities being the final boss because of other media so that's not really mm-hmm. a point in their favor so much as it is like I was like oh yes this is a totally logical path because I've seen it so many times mm-hmm. um, but I okay to another extent Betty's the final boss
0: that's true yeah
1: like think of it as Betty could have summoned a tidal wave to sweep over ooh, and it would have essentially been the same thing.
0: Yeah, I just like, it's kind of one of those things where it was like, they peppered in references to Golb throughout the entire series. And then he like, it was such an important part of the finale. And I felt like I was like, well, there's not enough for me to dig my teeth into. Like you, you, you're being a tease, you know? Give me some additional mythos here, if, if this is what we're gonna do.
1: To some extent, I think they're taking a lesson from Lovecraft, and if you over, if you give people too much, it takes away their power. It's sort of like a classic, don't show the monster, because if you show the monster, it becomes less scary
0: it's an issue of me just being like too autistic where I'm like what no you've like peppered in like one reference to gold per season for the entire run of this show he is the end boss and that's all I get Like, (laughs) I don't get more I need more I need more information I need more lore
1: (laughs) well and and some of that comes from the fact that usually those things are supposed to be indescribable like the lore that you're looking for would drive people mad because it's like completely like it's that like i said like that's how you summon a cthulhu and and it it is very they embody chaos and and to some extent that is the only thing you can know about them because there is nothing else to know if it were something it would probably be something like they've existed from before the universe existed and they are everywhere and nowhere and
0: they, yeah, it's kind of like, remember when the Lich was like, before that there was darkness, and before that there were monsters? You know? Like, that's maybe where Golb comes from.
1: Yeah. Either he's <laughs> one of them, or he made them. Both are equally bad. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, Golb starts mutating... Things that grow into giant monsters that attack Bubblegum, and basically everybody unites to try to fend off this attack. And Finn, Betty, and the Ice King get eaten (laughs) by Gulb. Mm -hmm. And they get shoved into an extra dimensional cube space where they are they are deconstructed layer by layer which is a weird spatial time effect so basically they like go backwards in time but they their minds kind of stay similar i mean they retain their memories um, the crown stops working simon becomes the ice king no more betty seems to change away from her magic self. But Finn stays the same. And basically
0: because Finn is just at the point of transition to adulthood and he can't really have been that many selves, I think.
1: Yeah, so Finn, it's a really claustrophobic scene. Oh, yeah. Basically, this 4D cube is crushing in on them. And you're just like... Finn is just like, is this how it's gonna end? And I'm just like, what is going on? So...
0: And then... Betty...
1: takes the wish crown that has reverted so it can grant a wish.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And she wishes... She gets... Basically the power of song... Oh my god. But it's yeah. more it's more the so power like, of harmony. That Yeah,
0: I'm like they do it in a way where it's not just pouring hugs on the problem. They make it makes logically consistent sense.
1: Basically, the opposite of discord is harmony. It's harmony. So, it, it it makes enough sense that I'm I'm just like no, I could see that happening in a game. Like they could have accomplished the same task with tuning forks, I think. The yeah, song. Yeah, but are they
0: sing a touching song. Like, um, basically, Jake is in big trouble and uh BMO is like, I'll be the papa and you you be my beautiful baby boy, Jake, and I will sing you a lullaby.
1: <laughs> I mean, their house gets crushed.
0: Yeah, it's and bad. Like, things are really bad.
1: It's a touching song about how things will keep going on and on and mm. on. Like...
0: Will happen, happening happened.
1: I mean, it's basically a song about time and recurrence and you know Mm -hmm. it's very touching but anyway they open a hole for them to get out and Betty's like we still have to get rid of Gulb Mm -hmm. and so she puts on the crown as they leave she pushes Simon out and, and it's just like oh my god what is happening guys what are you doing and she wishes for the ability to get rid of Gulb Because she tries to just like wish him back and it won't work. So she wishes in whatever form it takes to to, keep Simon safe, to keep Simon safe, and she becomes Gulb and leaves.
0: It's like a Gulb betty hybrid. He doesn't look like a giant red chaos baby anymore. He looks like a giant red chaos superhero.
1: And that's how the show ends.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like, it, it's it's sweet because there's this framing device of like Bemo being the king of Ooh, who has lived forever, like on top of Mount Cragdor, right? Telling this story to uh, a pup princess named Beth, who is clearly a descendant of Jake, and then like a little rabbit weasel creature called Shermie. And they say like, they're like, but but wait, you, you said this was a story about the end of Ooh. what happened to all of the people? And Bebo's like, they just kept living their lives, Um, you know, so and it's just really sweet. And we get a little like montage set to come along with me of them living their lives, you know, just doing things
1: like and I guess final thoughts like what happens to Betty is tragic. And I'm really surprised they like it's not something I would expect to see on Cartoon Networks, like plain, plain and simple, just Very mature, very hopeless ending for her. It is
0: tragic. It's tragic, but it's also redemptive. You know, it's like she like almost ended the world, but she also saved it, you know? And also uh, as, you know, like Simon is like heartbroken and falling to his knees and Bubblegum tells him, you know, but all she really wanted like, was for you to be okay, was for you to not be, like, trapped in a labyrinth of madness inside your own mind, and for you to be safe. And she succeeded in that, and I think that she would have been okay with, like, I think she's okay with her fate, knowing that she succeeded in that.
1: And, um... The Candy Kingdoms are, I guess, able to coexist. And... Bubblegum and Marcy kiss on screen.
0: Yes, it's explicit. It's an on-screen kiss.
1: Oh, <laughs> add that to the list of Korra. Uh, Korra yes, happened thank- first, though.
0: Yeah, Korra had it first. Yeah, I had like a friend, The a friend of ours from college was posting... The other day that they just finished watching cora for the first time and can't believe that the entire internet broke over two women holding hands and planning a vacation together and that the standards were so low in 2014 it's like yeah but like nothing none of this other like queer stuff that happened in cartoons would have been able to happen without it you know
1: um i mean and the show the ending of the show has a lot to say about like the cyclical nature of time <laughs> new heroes arise, new adventures happen, things advance, but things also stay the same. And mm-hmm. it's a very, I don't know, like, BMO's like, they just go on living their lives and you're just like, but, ba but, but, why? Like, but that's
0: kind of the way that it's like, that's the end, that's all stories, you know? I, I think that says something about, like, stories in general. Is that like when you tell a story, the end is arbitrary, right?
1: Yeah, they I do like that they didn't say they lived happily ever after. Mm -hmm. I think they went on living their lives is a very living world way to end a story.
0: Definitely. It's very much like time is a flat circle, but in like a happy way. It's like time is a flat circle, isn't that neat? Except <laughs> no. for
1: those who are immortal. Yeah.
0: And except they, for the people they, who are immortal,
1: they continue existing, just garnering more experience. Yes. Poor Bimo.
0: But Bimo like a little boy forever, though. Like he's like, like because of his nature, like Bimo Bimo is uh, mostly without pathos.
1: Yeah which is why when he says like Nepter, you're so cute now I will treat you as an equal <laughs> it 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 catches you off guard so much but it's like a child saying that it's it is supposed to be so taken aback but it's not supposed to actually mean what you think it means
0: yeah yeah because like because ultimately like bimo is a robot and he was a robot that was built to like learn and have the function of imagination which is not something that um like the the idea is like he is a robot and but he's he's programmed such that he can think outside of his programming is like the whole point of like bimo growing up but ultimately he is a robot so like there's only he can only do that to so to so great of an extent, basically. You know, he's a permanent innocent.
1: And that's just he's how truly we, pure. That's just how we like him.
0: <laughs> right. Also, I think like confirmed non-binary Bima was referred to by a variety of pronouns throughout the show. Yes. Yeah. Or, or maybe more genderless. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think genderless is probably the right way to think about it Mm -hmm. alright so the show ends and there is more material on HBO now and there were short stories released about like Jake telling stories but the main plot of the first show is done and 10 seasons later where do we stand on Adventure Time and what it's done, what it did, criticisms, and where has it allowed us to go? All of those are good questions that I feel like I would like to say something about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, for sure, um, I mean, does anything stick out to you in particular?
0: Well, first of all, I'd like to say... Um... It was good and it stayed good until the end, which is something a lot of, like, adults programming does not manage to do. Um, And that a lot of, like, other, that, like, long-running programming of any type does not always manage to do. So I think that it's notable that it was on for nearly 10 years and was good the whole time so that's remarkable
1: I think it's because they were only 10 minute episodes that could be I think that they ran into they didn't run into running out of material which I feel like 45 minute shows do
0: yeah that makes sense like how many
1: fucking oh my god you're still alive can you do before it gets really dumb like, how many families can you murder at dinner before it's gauche?
0: Yeah, exactly. And exactly. And, like, how many different villages of people who are secretly evil in some dark way can can you encounter?
1: And, and I think it's because they they used light touches to foreshadow things. And. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe it doesn't owe to any of that. Maybe it is literally the storytellers who worked on the show are excellent storytellers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say that something like, something that's notable in, in the fact that we watch content in a different way today than we used to is that a lot of shows that were made before about five years ago give you issues when you binge watch them because they weren't expecting people to watch them that way, right? And so there are more continuity errors. There are fewer, like, things that reward you after a long wait. And I think it's interesting that Adventure Time as a show that started before people watched content that way and ended when people very much did very much rewards the binge watcher. I feel like yeah, the wash and Easter eggs.
1: Yeah, and I I think you could watch it either way and be satisfied.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: So, um, it span it. I don't know. I guess it spanned the spanned the way we consume media, which is not an easy thing to do.
0: No, absolutely not. Not at all. It started off when it was like. Very much like, this is a show that you will turn on your television and watch. And if you would like to follow the plot, you must turn on the television and watch it at a specific time. And by the end, it was not that way at all. That was not the way that media was primarily consumed by the demographic for Adventure Time.
1: Um, something, so was something that I'm interested in asking is like, what what did Adventure Time bring to the table? You know, ten seasons later. What did it bring to the table that was new? Like, was it just refining things that had already started to happen? Or was it introducing a lot of new things? And also, did it essentially create a new template for cartoons of its type
0: yeah i will say um i think it had higher expectations of children and its viewership in general than most other children's programming has i guess like let's just kind of ignore avatar because that's kind of in a world apart But like from this whole discussion, it's kind of its own separate thing. And it was also like a very discreet story. So I think it sets it apart. But I think it had higher expectations for what children were able to handle and the types of stories that are valuable to tell children. I also said earlier that as much as we all now have a problem with uh, Joe herself, that it did for children's animation what Harry Potter largely did for um children's literature. Now not that there weren't other things doing something similar somewhat contemporaneously, right? I won't say that that's that there weren't, there were, but it's sort of like the biggest, longest running, most popular well-known one, right? Harry Potter and adventure time both are in their subsets where it's the idea that like This is something is for children, that's for children, and it's dark. It does not shy away from the fact that, like, there is death and there is pain and there is hate and bad things happen and you can't control them. And sometimes you just have to react to those things happening, you know, and it it allows children to experience that in a controlled environment and in many ways gives children a language with which to interpret and express those types of things.
1: Yeah, I would argue here uh, that incorporating kind of what you just said, that it, I would argue it's not just a refinement of past shows, but it actually is a new template that it ushers in a new format that you might call, like it's a list of qualities. So one I don't know. I kind of think that the idea of the children's cartoon has reached a zenith of erosion here. That this show really blurs the... Like, it really kind of makes that distinction almost meaningless.
0: Oh, yeah. Agreed completely.
1: And and I feel like... Right? Because people say there's adult animation and then there's children animate Like, there's cartoons for children. And... I feel like this show really kind of begins an era where that doesn't mean anything anymore. The only thing that it might mean is, oh, this stuff talks about like sex and violence and politics and farts. And this stuff is not as crass, but.
0: Yeah, it's this stuff is less explicit. It's basically like, how explicit are you in the way that you deal with your themes? Do they say
1: fuck or not?
0: yeah like, do they say fuck do they fuck you know <laughs> like
1: and that um, distinction to me is not that big of a deal really yeah. like oh like in terms of the maturity of a story that's irrelevant to me yeah unless the story happens to be about sex and then yes. like obviously i don't know if i would have an eight-year-old watch big mouth but it,
0: yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that's
1: the one place where the distinction I guess still makes sense in addition it, it really opens up showing childhood trauma which happens in other shows that follow after it and we're going to watch some of those shows and it, it reaches like a really uh, a nice maturity here um, also I feel like something that's interesting is that the show mimics this development in itself Like, so the maturity garnered by these types of shows to tell stories about emotions and trauma in general has matured, but also the show itself matured along that same path.
0: Yes, I think it does. It did what like good children's authors do when they're writing a series, which is like recognize that both the characters in the story and your audience will mature with time and so allow the storytelling and the plot content to mature as well.
1: I think that um, they're adding to the template, I guess this would be like the font of the template, is like large incorporation of psychedelic fantasy and absurdist dialogue and concepts into the show.
0: Yes, okay. So talk about that
1: all right so adventure time is absurdist in the sense that a lot of things are non-linear or eschew traditional definitions of meaning and we've talked about this in the past how there are times where really big concepts are kind of kicked around for fun like things that were like oh that's really important that world kind of made fun of as being you know unimportant or people don't see the importance of them and I feel like I feel like that doesn't appear as much in a lot of cartoons but I don't know I feel like that felt I don't know it kind of happened in uh oh my god gumball not gumball um What's that? Oh, my God. I'm <laughs> really blanking here. Oh, the show. Of...
0: Describe it in vague terms and I'll see if I can help you out.
1: Sailing.
0: Oh, flapjack.
1: Flapjack. There we go. <laughs> um, I, I I can speak, I I don't know, a little bit more specifically to the idea of the incorporation of psychedelic things. I mean, just having a lot to do with imagery. And like, really, I like color imagery plots things that use color schemes visual shape like i don't it's it's hard for me to describe this because it's more of a feeling than it is like an artistic emotion than it is concrete to me but like i don't know it's it's a psychedelic show in a lot of ways yeah for sure
0: I will say that, um, in terms of even art style, um, if you think back to a lot of shows from, like, the prior decade, a lot of it is sort of, like, muddy looking, and, um, you know, it was art styles that were kind of meant, like, they were, like, not necessarily, like, particularly attractive, they didn't draw the eye, but, like, this show is, like, really bright and like clear and with these like bold lines and stuff. So with the art style, I think it's sort of like has like a pretty distinct demarcation of going into a new era.
1: God, and Steven Universe does this, but with soft lines and pastels.
0: Yes. Yes. But but
1: still in a bright way, as opposed to kind of the muddy quality of previous shows.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking when you, if you're wondering what I mean, by muddy, I'm thinking pretty explicitly about Fairly Odd Parents. Yeah, and the, the the visual tone of that show, and that has thematic reasons for it, but still, whatever. I think.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I think it allows shows after it, or or maybe it demands of shows after it to pick not just a unique art style, but to push. To push forward art styles like making them a key like i don't know i feel like old cartoons like the art style was important but it 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 seemed like except for things like rug like even with rugrats like all the clasky supo shows had that same art style whereas this is like an a, a shows art style needs to be an upfront part of its identity
0: Yes. Yes, definitely. I agree. Um, I would also say that, um, so, Steven Universe was, like, contemporaneous with Adventure Time, but with, like, late Adventure Time. Adventure Time had already been on for, like, five years by the time it started. And I would say that, like, you wouldn't have been able to do that kind of storytelling in Steven Universe without Adventure Time. Like how that show is so like the only other children's shows that are about like feelings are shows for like preschoolers where they're trying to do social so like social emotional development and teach them how to like not hit people when they feel sad. You know, um whereas like Steven Universe is for an older demographic and it's very explicitly like this is a show about feelings. <laughs> um it's about other things too but it's about feelings and how you feel and how you deal with those feelings and how other people feel and how you like the way that you feel together like affects each other and stuff like that and it addresses them on like a very intense level and on a level that demands like a high like demands a lot of maturity from a viewership that is supposed to be children. And that's not something that I think they would have been able to do, they wouldn't have been like supported in doing it by, you know, um, the brass, you know, by the studio or or by even maybe audiences without Adventure Time.
1: Yeah, I, the way that I, I put it was it opens the acceptable window of boundary pushing. Like it opens the window for how much you can push boundaries in a particular way. so Yeah. That's essentially the same thing, right? Like, you said it better. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I feel like another thing that I know, like, nerd culture is continuing to, like, to integrate with mainstream stuff. Like, a lot of nerdy stuff, like, D&D type imagery and stuff is just like, oh, it's here now. Um, Which is interesting to me. Um, Also, Something that I continue to see, it's a show that takes, it's like a show that's made by adults that takes a very strong anti adult stance. (laughs) Uh, In many cases.
0: Don't trust anyone over 30, man. I mean, this isn't
1: unique. For example, I'm reading like a lot of Stephen King right now, and he writes a lot about adults as common sources of strife for children. And that adults don't automatically deserve deference. but I feel like that's a pretty clear departure from past cartoons. Like there might be some ant like fairly odd parents kind of does it. Rugrats kinda does it but I feel like the show takes a very strong stance and doesn't obscure that at all.
0: Yeah, I would say that like at most shows in the past portrayed parents as like indifferent, like like if it didn't portray parents in a positive way, it portrayed them as oblivious or indifferent in some way. Um, whereas in Adventure Time, it's like no, sometimes sometimes adults aren't just indifferent; they are the ones causing the suffering, and it may not be malicious but they are doing it they are the source of the problem
1: yeah and i and i think that that could be really threatening to parents watching the show and it's a good thing that they did it but i'm also i i'm also surprised it didn't ass- I think maybe it's because it's too it's buried too deep that a parent just walking by wouldn't really notice it
0: Yeah, you have to, like, be engaged with the show to notice that. You have to be following the plot lines. Uh,
1: The show also makes a strong queer representation case for us. Like, it's very important in that respect. Cora did it first, but I don't know. The Marcy bubblegum thing is obfuscated a little bit, but they also clearly have very strong emotional attachments. And eventually they make out and are clearly shown to be together and dating and it's beautiful. And that is super important. It just is.
0: Yeah. I like how in, in Marcy and Hunson, when Hunson shows up, he asks Finn a whole series of questions about Marcy all at once that ends with, is she dating anyone? And Finn is like doing the like, yes, yes, no no, but then yes again, you know, and then at the, is she dating someone? He said, maybe, you know, and it's like, that's bubblegum. Like, there's nobody else in her life, you know?
1: I also like that the show doesn't end with the guy getting the girl.
0: Yes, there is an indication. I do like that there's an indication that, like, remember how a while back Huntress Wizard and Finn were into each other, but they were both like, but it can never be. Well, they both may have matured to a point where, like, it might be able to be. And so, like, they're feeling it out, you know, is, like, kind of where Finn ends romantically.
1: Which is a great place to end. I feel like that if he had gotten a typical straight dude ending, it would have felt fine. But also, this is more interesting.
0: Yeah. And like I was saying, you know, a few episodes back is that, like, I think it's really like great that they book that trend and it doesn't like end the show with Finn having like a wife because he's 17 years old. You know, he has not, a lot of life ahead of him.
1: Not that that hasn't stopped Western writers before.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: OK, so one one argument that I have to make here. not i not an argument, but a point. I feel like this is stated at the beginning, but I think it's impossible to talk about Adventure Time without acknowledging the contribution that it has single-handedly dictated the course of Cartoon Network in like, circa 2010, and development of even better shows. Um, yes. And I feel like part of that, number one, it shows that a show doesn't need to be syndicated, or, or uh, what is it, serialized to be successful. Right? It, is that right? It doesn't need to be broken up into individual units.
0: Episodic, as well. Episodic, you're for. yeah. It
1: doesn't need to be episodic to be successful. Um, also, I think it buck It, it showed Cartoon Network. I, I hate making this argument, but I feel like it's a network that makes money, so you have to acknowledge this. I think it was proof that you can monetize things that aren't reliant on, like, a banal perception of accessibility. Yes. A show doesn't need to be watered down or perceived as being optimally accessible to make money.
0: Yeah, it's like pretty much everyone under the age of 30... Has like watched at least a couple of seasons of Adventure Time. You know, like, sorry, everyone who was under the age of 30 when it came out, right, has like enjoyed some Adventure Time, you know, here and there. And I also think it was like a Trojan horse because I was sitting there yesterday watching the finale and thinking about like all the like dudes I knew freshman year of college when there were only a couple seasons out who were like, LMAO, dude, this show is so trippy. It's like definitely about like, drugs and like all this like ridiculous stuff happens it's so trippy dude like and they weren't even like drug guys they were just kind of like bros you know um and i was sitting there thinking about their attitude and the things that they found enjoyable about adventure time and i was watching that finale and i'm like would they enjoy this and are they still watching it and were they tricked into watching this by the early seasons
1: Yeah, because, I mean, the early seasons are pretty frantic and all over the place. And at the end, it's got a laser focus.
0: Yeah, it's that like little boy energy that we were talking about at the beginning. And then at the end, like it's very it's still adventure time, but it's very measured, you know?
1: Yeah. So I, I don't know. I feel like it it's a proof of concept is probably the easiest way to say it like it is it is a proof of concept that allows things like steven universe gravity falls um it allows there to be popularity over adult versions of these shows like bravest warriors um it There's a lot of shows on Netflix that I would argue are going to be fit into this growing category that I've been keeping my eye on. Shit like Mm She-Ra. Heard great things. Haven't watched it. We are going to watch it one day because people say a lot of good things about it. Um, Yeah,
0: we this like the animation renaissance season is going to be the longest season of all time because we have so many shows to watch and like COVID has made things so weird. (laughs)
1: We might break it into early, later, early Renaissance, yeah. later Renaissance. It's probably a good a way to do it. Um, I would even
0: argue that certain like adult cartoons have been in a more diffuse way influenced by Adventure Time because if you think about something like Big Mouth, where that is a show that is explicit, like it's like it's like filthy and it's definitely for adults, but it's also explicitly about like mental illness and like the pain that children experience during that particular time of their life, like addressed through like a sort of fantasy lens. And like, I don't know that that's something that would have gotten picked up, like in 2009, you know,
1: never, never. I I think if you would have told an executive you want to make a show about kids and like show them as sexual creatures which they are like not in the way that adults are but they're going through puberty right Mm -hmm. they're starting to change and experience all sorts of things they would say like you're a fucking perv get out of my office and if you had said you wanted to add fantasy elements to it they would have been like well you're high too yeah (laughs) and and i i think you're absolutely right i i think that also i think with shit like that it's hard to overstate the importance of not going to a network as opposed to netflix like the internet streaming model had more freedom because audiences were allowed to be more niche And still be desirable.
0: Exactly. Like, it's like... Even, like... Like, I bet that there are a lot of people who have Netflix that if I was like, have you heard of Big Mouth? Like, Netflix has never showed them Big Mouth. And, like, neither has, like, Twitter or Facebook. They have no idea what it is, you know?
1: Yeah. So, I mean... We, I feel like we in particular owe a lot to Adventure Time. And it shows like Adventure Time that got me interested in doing this kind of stuff.
0: Yes, exactly. Like the whole reason that I wanted to make this podcast was because of shows that are like this and that and the way that I got into those shows was through Adventure Time.
1: The the mere idea that I could go back and retrospectively view older cartoons and search for meaning was because of seeing the meaning self-evident in shows like Steven Universe too.
0: Yeah, absolutely and you kind of wonder like is it really that much better than everything that was from when I was a kid or am I just imagining it because my memory is foggy you know and it's interesting because it's like you're like well it is all, like it is actually that much better but also there was maybe a lot more going on in these older shows than we really were thinking about or giving them credit for you know
1: yeah I think at this point it's important for me to state it's not necessarily that things in the early 90s were bad at that time they would have been an advanced version of what came before mm-hmm. but we we reach you know a modern cartoon for a modern era.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly.
1: Type thing, and it's not that the old stuff was bad, it just wasn't as good. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But it did what it needed to do at the time, and I guess in that respect, we have to respect a a, a tool made for a specific situation. Yeah. Cartoons were not meant to do that much back then, and they are expected to now. And I they feel
0: also,
1: like. Show should go
0: ahead. Sorry, I think that it, like you finish your point. Finish your point.
1: I I think it is it would be unfair of us to blame past cartoons for being a tool that they were not meant to be.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I also think Adventure Time is um, the beginning of cartoons, and particularly. Children's animation being seen as a type of art that is created by like an auteur, um, in the same way that like a Wes Anderson movie might be, or something like that. Like, if you think about it, like, now looking back, like people in the industry would have known who like Gandhi Tartarovsky was, or whatever. And now looking back, we say, well, like Genndy Tartarovsky did this, that, or the other, or like Craig McCracken did this, that, or the other. But I don't think that like there were like most ordinary viewers were interacting with things or looking at things in that way. We're absolutely just like an ordinary, like somewhat nerdy viewer of Adventure Time will be like, "Oh, Pendleton Ward, this, that, or the other," you know, and that people will watch things because, like, "Oh, well, Pendleton Ward made this," you know, and that's the, like these these creators and showrunners are beginning to be viewed as like important artists and like auteurs in a way that I think is very new for this particular genre
1: and the number of awards that it has either been nominated for or won is nuts and I think that only adds to the strength of the argument you made about it being a thing for auteurs
0: Hmm. yeah I'm sure it's won like eight bajillion annies
1: Yeah, that's a large proportion of the things it's been awarded. But I mean, it's won primetime Emmys, um, all sorts of choice awards. Like it, you cannot argue with its success in all areas. You just can't. Like if you were to say Adventure Time is a bad show, there are not many things that I would say you are objectively wrong about. But this is one of them.
0: Yeah, like I'd fight you on it.
1: You like, are just wrong. You're wrong in any in any metric you choose. You are wrong.
0: Yeah, like my boyfriend doesn't like it. Um, like he doesn't. Like he he leaves the room most of the time when I watch it. But he has never tried to argue that the reason that he does not like it is that it is bad. Like he does not like the the particular combination of things that are deeply unsettling and things that are cutesy. He finds it off-putting and is not his thing. But he, even he has never tried to argue, well, I don't like it because it's a bad show, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've never heard somebody say that to me, so I haven't had to fight anyone yet. But I will. I will. Come come at us. We'll fight. Uh, But I
0: was very interested to find out that he does not like the show and ask him why. Um, Because that's not... I don't know that many people who don't like it. Like, I know people who have not watched it, you know, but I was like, not really people who like don't like it. And it was interesting to learn why, because like he cannot stand Steven Universe because he finds it way too twee. He does not care for the twee. Um, And so that's an element of his dislike of Adventure Time and the like so just sort of just like profoundly unsettling thing that I find so entertaining about it he also does not care for, particularly in combination with the things that are twee.
1: I don't, I, for me that twee, like, I wouldn't call twee because I don't think it's overly sentimental, but that combination, like that, it's like a good dissonant chord. Mm -hmm. The, the thing that makes it scratch that itch on your spine in such a good way is because something is set in discordant relief with another.
0: Uh, that's what's so interesting because I'm like, wow, that's exactly why I like it I think. like I think what you're describing is exactly why I like it you know um, but like there are people, reasonable people for
1: Yeah, I, I could definitely understand that not being to their their taste um, mm-hmm. But all right, so this show has absorbed a lot of our time a lot of our efforts it was a herculean task and thankfully for us other renaissance shows are much shorter so much shorter oh steven universe Um, is the only other one that comes close
0: yeah like next we're going to be chris do you mind if i give away what we're doing next we're so we're trying to go in roughly chronological order right now so next we're going to be covering gravity falls and At this time, I will say, thankfully, though, typically, I would say tragically, it has only two seasons. So we should be able to cover that in at most two episodes.
1: Yeah, maybe even try to get it into one with two Mm -hmm. parts. We'll we'll figure it out because Gravity Falls has quite a bit to unpack as well.
0: Yes. Definitely.
1: But yeah. we we are also going to be looking forward to trying to more frequently do extra material for people who are subscribed to our Patreon since we want to reward people for helping us out.
0: Yes. So for those of you who don't know, because we're pretty lax about promoting it, we do have a Patreon. It's Animated Ease, um on Patreon. And basically all we're trying to do is meet our basic operating costs. It does cost money to host a podcast. Um, You have to pay for an account on something like SoundCloud or something like that in order to host the material. So basically, we're just trying to cover that cost um, so that making this podcast doesn't cost us money. Um, So if that's something, if you like what we do and you're interested in any way in helping us out with that... um, we would be really thankful and it would be really awesome. If you subscribe to the Patreon, we do provide bonus content there. We've been pretty sporadic about it in the past, but something that we're trying to make a commitment to this year to become more consistent with providing bonus content. And if you want to subscribe to the Patreon and give us some suggestions on what you'd like to see as bonus content that might, you know, help, uh, help guide our decisions and maybe it could be a more personalized type reward for you, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm totally open to suggestions. We haven't received any, <laughs> but we are we are definitely open to to those sorts of things, so a dollar, whatever, whatever tiny amount, it doesn't matter, any support is massively helpful to us. And yeah, that's That is Adventure Time. That's our spiel. It's been an
0: adventure time. Damn it, Chris. Okay. Uh. (laughs) Yes. Well, as always, I've been Paige.
1: And I've been Chris.
0: And this has been Animates. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It helps the algorithm work its magic and helps other people find the show. You can also reach us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at Animates on Twitter and Animates Podcast on Facebook. We can also be emailed for any longer queries or suggestions. Animates at gmail.com. And that's the numeral eight in place of the letters A T. And as we just mentioned, if you want to help us out, you can always subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, You can find us there at Animates Podcast. And once again,